everybody. Welcome back to Talking in the Rain. I am your host, Saira Unju, and today my guest is Victoria-based artist Sonia Ehlers. Sonia's art includes collage art, poetry, books, and zines. Also, male art, which is important to mention because we do talk about that. <laughs> you can catch Sonia's 30 years of work at the Richmond Art Gallery's fall exhibition, Classification Crisis, which runs until November 5th. In this episode, Sonia and I got into her journey as an artist in the past 30 years. We talked about how vulnerable it is to put out work for people to see that you maybe thought no one would ever see. We also got into social media and posting your art on social media and a music career question mark <laughs> this episode was very inspirational for me and i hope you can draw some inspiration from it too enjoy well thank you again for joining me sonia so on september 9th with the richmond art gallery your exhibition classification crisis um opened it's running until november 5th so i want to talk a little bit about this exhibition and also get into you as an artist and your art as well because you have been creating art since the 90s which I feel like is very impressive because you know artists are often need to branch out to different things to be able to keep up with the cost of living and also the underappreciation of art as well <laughs> so let's start with uh, would you like to tell us all about classification crisis a little bit and what people can expect from this vis uh, exhibition when they visit it classification crisis, what it actually means, it's an archival term that information scientists use when they don't know what to do with something. So they're going through an archive, they come across an object or a paper, and they don't know what to do with it. So it's a crisis. And for me, that has been my entire career, just having a very hard time trying to figure out what my work is, where it fits. So yeah, it's a 30-year survey uh, starting from early 90s. So you walk into the space and there's three galleries. So everything is, is um, it's like contained. So there's this three spaces. You walk in, the first thing you see is a wall of bankers boxes. And that is a restaging of what I look at every day at the foot of my bed. It's like my whole archive is housed in these bankers boxes. And um, there's um, letters, tons of mail art, zines, uh, cassette tapes. What else? There's so many things in these boxes, like 30 years. There's manuscripts um, from my first couple of books unseen manuscripts um so yeah we did the restaging it's pretty funny in my opinion <laughs> it's because I use I make art with office supplies often it's just accessible and affordable I have branched out as well I do watercolors and and one I do fine art as well yeah one of my first my I have a, a book that came out in 1998 that was a compilation of zine zine work that I had been making in the early 90s into the like most of the 90s. So we published a book and it was the imprint of that book was actually a mis misfit book. And that was published by Insomniac Press. And I was an insomniac at the time. So everything kind of worked out. The book's called Temper Temper. So yeah, you have a copy. Look at you. Where did you I do? That's incredible. I 
<laughs> I wanted to do some research before this. So I oh, just wow. borrowed it from uh, the Vancouver Public Library. But yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Godfrey Liang, who is the curator and mastermind of classification crisis, he told me just a few days ago that the Vancouver Public Library does house all my books and some zines of mine, which is actually mind blowing. <laughs> to me because there are so few in existence they they haven't really survived I mean some of them I mean I'm so happy they're at the library that makes me that makes yeah they're they're all in the central branch so yeah I mean you can ask for them to bring it to your own branch too which is what I did but yeah they're all stored in the central branch and I was really excited to find it too because I was like I really like you have been creating for so long that you must have stuff out there that I can access right so I was like looking it up and I saw it on VPL's website amazing I'm so happy thanks for doing research I really appreciate it yeah of course so Talking about Temper Temper and the visual, I guess, visual poetry that you do and also the zines. Um, So I want to ask, well, I guess specifically for Temper Temper because it is in front of me, but do you do everything by yourself? So all of the visuals and the um, the wordings, uh, do you do you get usually get help from other people? Do you find visuals somewhere? Because I know you also do collages as well. So what is that process like for you? Oh, gee. So yeah, it, I will because my whole process is archiving. Like arch, like I archive all of my source material. Uh, I collect images and text over time. And I house everything, like all my loose collage materials and fragments of text. Because everything, like I hear things throughout the day. I hear overheard conversations, lines on a TV show or a film. And I write things down constantly. Uh, And this, and also lines of text just come to me throughout the day. There's certain points in my life where, you know, I'll I'll do quite a bit of writing. And it, it just floats in and out of my life. So to keep track of that, as I said, I write everything down. And then a big part of the show at Richmond Art Gallery is my binders, my three ring binders of these materials are on display. So people can come into the show and leaf through these, these art, this, it's like an archive of thoughts and ideas and poetry and images and I know that someone has already gone, an artist has already gone out and bought their own binders to start organizing their own practice, which I think is so incredible to me. I'm so happy to hear this. Uh, but to answer your question, do I get help? I have help with editing. I'm one of my oldest friends from high school. Her name's Susan Farmer. She has helped immensely with the editing and the production end of things with zine making. Um, been very lucky to have her as a friend. I have had people do illustrations for me for bigger projects, but for Temper Temper, I mean, there is a community behind that book. Absolutely. There are letters from pen pals from that time period. And there's some illustrations that I use from friends, but it was a time where, I mean, I have to say I was helping myself to a lot of material. I, I don't work that way so much anymore because of, just it was just a different time where people I mean helped yourself (laughs) it's like you need to 
I have much more appreciation and uh, I, I'm all about consent now. It's like, I'm sorry, I do you mind if I published your letter in my book? Like I didn't get a lot of approval. So yeah, also, I'm. <laughs> yeah. also it was towards more beginning of your career, I guess, compared to now. So I feel like it, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you learn so much. I was in my 20s. I was a goofball, just not thinking and not having a lot of foresight as well. I mean, I was using, as I was saying earlier, office supplies to make my art. Like I was using a lot of whiteout and tape that does not age well. So I didn't even think that these little zines would, like they just... I'm like, oh, this is like a two week thing. But no, they are standing the test of time, which is blowing my mind. And and one of the one of the galleries at um, the Richmond Art Gallery, the, as I said earlier, there's three spaces for the show. And one of the rooms, like the biggest room, is displaying eight zines from that time period. So to see this giant space housing these little tiny zines was just it's such a coup for zine makers over all these years like it's incredible that this has been given some space yeah I agree I mean I personally can't wait to see it myself um but yeah talking about it just makes me more excited oh I love it so I just want to ask you more a little bit about your journey as an artist, because as we mentioned, you started um, your journey in the 90s. You, I believe you started as a collage artist. And then you also mentioned that you, you know, have poetry, zines, male art. Um, so can you talk me through these, I guess, shifts in mediums that you use, the additions uh, and yeah, your journey as an artist? <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, again, back to the beginning, like early 90s, I was talking earlier about this today. I was very influenced by autobiographical comics like Julie Doucet and a lot of what Drawn and Quarterly was putting out in the early, early 90s. So I know that was a big influence. But then I was doing my own research and doing like I was reading a lot of poetry, a lot of Sylvia Plath and <laughs> whatnot. Um, I know that seeped into the work. But again, I started off so I just like these humble little cheaply made little photocopied books and it just grew. It's I guess it snowballed, I would say, which there was not a lot of control over what was going on. Um, but yeah, things have evolved from the photocopies to working with Drawn and Quarterly. And then I worked on this teen project called Rookie, which was really incredible. And I got to work at penguin random house like i mean i'm self-taught and for me to go from these photocopied booklets to working at penguin random house was really like wow that's amazing it's amazing what a person can do and i i honestly i always believe if i can do this anyone can do this <laughs> i also i wanted to say you mentioned that you like started creating art with office materials right and you still do you know you started doing fine art as well which I feel like just puts art into a more accessible point of view as well oftentimes people feel like they need to buy the best materials and the the, the most expensive paints to create 
when that's not reality. <laughs> I know it's amazing. Yeah. Cause I mean, what ends up happening for me, my work is so process oriented, like lots of sorting and sifting and editing over time, very tactile. I use my hands to do all this work and yeah, I never, ever thought about materials. I mean, I do, I mean, paper is my best friend. That's for sure. And I do, I do use expensive watercolor paper. <laughs> I love arches. I'm like, I have to get the best. It just, cause it's, it just holds watercolor and ink, like just like nothing I've ever seen before. So I do use some expensive materials, but rather than investing in the materials, I invest my time like my time and my energy. And it happens over time, which is why I've been doing this for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like just you, yeah. you, you like writing is time. So yeah. Yeah. Just like what everything. So I wanted to ask you, because we've mentioned male art, uh, what is it? <laughs> and how did you get into it? <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, that's definitely a huge part of my practice because what I didn't tell you earlier is that the little zines that I was making, you know, and I'd make 20 copies. So uh, what I would do early on is I somehow intuitively created a network system, amassing pen pals pre-internet in the 90s. So I, you know, I'd fall in love with some band or a writer and I would somehow just track down their postal box or address and I would send them my work and just as a way to say thank you for their work. So then I ended up meeting and making these incredible connections with all of these creative people because I grew up on an island. I live in Victoria, so I was I was isolated and also the practice of doing the male art and it, I didn't have to be present for their reaction. Like it was a very safe way of putting myself out there in a vulnerable way. Cause these early works are quite vulnerable. Yeah. I felt very protected and safe because of the time that just how long it would take the male art to get to the, the recipient. So it could be like a month or two weeks. And it's like, and I'm not available to, if they don't like it, that's okay. I don't, I don't mind. <laughs> I can live with that. I'll just forget about it and move on. You know what Did I mean? Did they ever write back? Oh yeah. No, I still have friends to this day. Oh. Yeah. That's actually, yeah. How my first book came about. Like I wrote to one of my favorite poets and she really loved the work and yeah, she helped me out. Her name's Lynn Crosby. She really took me under her wing and helped me get a, like a book publishing situation which is incredible so yeah you just never know what happens when you reach out to people who you feel a kinship with or a like-mindedness it's like oh I really identify with this music and this this writing and it's like a meeting of the mind so you try to find a way to connect so I find through art and male art that's a great way to connect with people Oh, that's that's so lovely. I don't know, it makes me happy. I feel like more people should partake in mail art. <laughs> yeah, mailing things is a dying, unfortunately, but I feel like we could revive it. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, there's this artist, a famous artist named Ray Johnson, who did a lot of mail art. There's a documentary about him called How to Draw a Bunny. Because that's another thing too, is I've like the the bunny and the rabbit has been kind of one of my main symbols through all this time 
Um, but yeah, so Ray Johnson's a really good artist to look into for male art. Yeah. Yeah, we'll check it out. Um, so talking about not being present for reactions and how your early work is very vulnerable. So you've mentioned that with this exhibition at the Richmond Art Gallery, people will be able to see things that uh, you have not shown until now. Um, how does it feel to put on display these works that you maybe thought other people would never see? Oh boy, it's very emotional to be in that space. And yeah, the opening was, it was a lot for me. There were, there were uh, many people showed up. I actually could not believe it. So I was a bit dissociated and just trying to stay present and alert and not really take in the, the fact that everyone was basically sorting through my brain <laughs> with the binders. Um, well, because we've been working on this show, planning this for so long, I think Godfrey and I have been working together for about five years, creating the project, applying for funding. And then we approached Richmond Art Gallery, I think it was three years ago. So I feel like I've been planning a wedding for five years. Like I've been engaged and then I plan now the way. And, and then yesterday, or sorry, Saturday was the opening and it was, you do all these, this planning for years and then it's all over in four hours. So in that four hour time period, I was, I wasn't really able to really take stock of what was happening in the space other than what I just told you is like watching people literally sort through my brain and enter into my world, essentially, just like, this is how an artist gets work done. This is like how one, it's just an interesting, I, I mean, I'm obsessed with process. I, that's all I really care about at the end of the day. I want to see how something is made and I want to hear about the process of making art because that to me is actually more important than the art. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, the process could be also so cathartic and it can make you feel so many things that even if the end result isn't what you had in mind, it still did so much for you. <laughs> um, so exactly. when you first started working on this, you said five years ago, um, were you thinking about how people will basically be going through your brain and seeing your process and how vulnerable this would be? Yeah, I didn't expect for it to be this vulnerable. For me, it's been a difficult process to, to have to go like sorting through old work. There's some of it I cannot read. I cannot go over it. I'm just like, I, I, I am stunned that I put it some of it out into the world because I've had to become quite guarded since. Like I would love to be putting out more vulnerable work again if I can. Um, the curator, Godfrey, he had a he had a strong vision for the show. And what he, what it, it fascinated him the most is how the work was contained. He was really interested in the containers and I was really interested in the content. I'm like, well, what I really want to show the, like I would dig as deep as possible. Like let's show everyone everything. That's me, but that's not possible <laughs> for a gallery show. Like that's an archive that needs to go to an actual archive, which is actually part of the plan for this. I think, I believe some of the material will be going to, the University of Victoria, they have an amazing archive 
Um, and then people can go through it there, like the depths of it. But this, I mean, I, I mean, it is more of a survey. Um, yeah, but again, the contain, like containing messy work, if that makes sense. But some of it's on display. Some of the vulnerable mm-hmm. material is on display, but it's, I think it's done in a, such a formal and organic way that it's, it's enough for the viewer. And I feel like everyone who has seen the show is just like, there's so much to look at. I know I, a good friend of mine was in there for two hours looking through mm-hmm. the binders. Like that kind of blew my mind. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I always think when I go to an art gallery that like one hour should be enough. Sure. But then there's always so much to look at. And if you connect with something, you end up spending so much more time than you think you will. That's what this space feels like. It's like a gallery, but it's also like a library at this, like I just, and I've always, I've, you know, I know like galleries are so intimidating and I've worked really hard to take that away. I want people to feel comfortable in the space and welcome and, that they have a right to be there. Cause I know I personally have, I've shied away from galleries. Just the intimidation factor is it's looms large. It's just, it's hard to get in there and it's hard to identify. It's hard to even connect with the work because it's, you know, sometimes it's just so formal and academic. It's just like, I can't, I can't access this. So I feel this show is beyond that in a way, like it's something different. It's like a reading room. In a, in a lot of ways that sounds really enticing yeah um so for you've also uh produced a new book work called rabbit hole um which i've read you've described as a feminist memoir slash scrapbook slash confessional commentary on the art world and my place within it <laughs> um so can you tell me a little bit about rabbit hole you also uh turned rabbit hole into an installation for this exhibition so I'm also wondering what the process of turning a book work into an installation is like yeah that's kind of what I've done from the beginning is like I've I've always seen like this the book as a blueprint for a gallery space like you start with the book and then you can kind you can blow it up and expand it on the walls like you just play with the architecture of the space and to I love doing site-specific installations where I have like I know the space that I'm going to work in these are the constraints and then I build within that and I, I love working with the ceiling like there's a piece that's hanging up quite high on the ceiling uh, the title of it is a painting that, again that I've placed high well, the gallery staff placed it, the text, they're amazing. Um, and then some of the work is low to the ground. I wanted it to be accessible uh, to kids. I know a lot of kids are going to go through there. Um, this, yeah, it is. I have a book called The Selves that came out in 2010. And I feel that this material, this rabbit hole is a continuation of that material. Like it's all color for the most part. And I don't often get to work with color because it's very expensive. Yeah. So people are excited because the selves, I I haven't been able to produce that work or put it out in the last 10 years or so, 13 years. And I'm so excited to have that work as a continuum because it's a body of work everything I do have, have and have done up until this point is a body of work 
So I actually have the book right here. I know that you can't see, but this is in its eight and a half by 11, which is standard paper size. And that's these three ring binders that I keep referring to are standard office size. So we, we basically, this book is now kind of like looking into the binder and it's a book within a book. It's, it is, it's like a scrapbook. It's, it's memoir. It's kind of an autobiography told through images and a bit of text and I mean my position in the art world there oh here we go I found it so there's this two-page spread there's a pink pearl eraser on one page and the image is reflecting back in the very simple line drawing of a cat's paw kind of no claws are exposed but it just says the art world underneath the cat paw and 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 it's such a nice mirror reflection there's I love design I love books obviously (laughs) but yeah this is um the scrapbook oh I don't know I wish I could just show everyone there's lots of imagery there's Beatrix Potter imagery there's record album art um Lots of old collages. There's images from National Geographic. Like it's just, it's a scrapbook for sure. Is that the book you're launching for classification crisis? Yeah. So people will be able to actually find it. Yeah. And I'm hoping it will be a display copy on it so people can see it. Because the other thing about that's so interesting about this project is we did the catalog first over, it took about a year. And I felt like the work that we did with the catalog informed the show. Does that make sense? Whereas normally in our catalog, it's like, oh, you did the show. Now we're going to photograph it. And then it's a book, but this, we did it backwards. And so I was able to reference rabbit hole, the book within the book to try to figure out this installation that I was going to do at Richmond Art Gallery and I'm still, to be honest with you, I did it, this installation I did in the gallery. It's so, it was done so intuitively that I'm still processing what I did. And everyone keeps asking me, they're like, what exactly is this? I'm like, I don't know what to tell you because I'm still processing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I work very intuitively. And so half the time I don't know what I'm doing. It's just like a stream of consciousness and I have to like step away to figure out what I've done. So I'm still processing it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, I understand. Also, like, art is so subjective. Like, even if you were done processing and knew what you you did, why you did it, um, it still doesn't mean that that is the correct way to understand the piece. Um, So I don't blame you. (laughs) No, I know exactly. It's just, well, this is just my version of it. I just want it when people ask me, it's like, well, I actually want to know what you see. That to me is more interesting. So when I get asked about my art, I kind of, I actually go blank. I'm just like, I don't know what to tell you. It, it is, it's not, I feel like I'm just the channel. I'm just like putting mm-hmm. it out there. And then it becomes, it gets, it has a life of its own. And then it's really up to who is taking it in and what they are seeing, which is completely different from viewer to viewer it's amazing exactly I agree and it can create so many different reactions in different people too and just to think that one like piece of art and as an artist that you're able to do that it's incredible (laughs) 
It's like magicians. You're a magician. Anyone who creates is a magician, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And it's not just visual arts either. I mean, really any form of art. Um, So I'm just going to switch a little to your social media because I went through your Instagram a little bit. Um, Couple questions. First one, saw a picture with a bunch of point shoes. (laughs) (laughs) What's the story behind that? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a big part of the show. And the toe shoes, I've been collecting them since probably mid 2000s. I have a large collection, probably, I don't know, 80 pairs. And they're all destroyed. They've all been worn. Uh, A really good friend of mine, a textile artist named Grant Heaps, he works for the Toronto, the National Ballet. So he was rescuing them for me because they were just heading straight to the garbage. I'm like, how can these, these are the most beautiful. I mean, I'm obsessed with the Toshu and what they represent because I am, I am a failed dancer (laughs) and musician. If we're going to go there. Um, Yeah. Because when you're creative and you're, you know, you're figuring out what you want to do and say, and what's going to work for you as an artist, you try many different hats on so for me yeah the ballet shoes the toe shoes they do they represent a lot of pain and I mean it is a I can't imagine the pain of that practice you can only I I mean to be completely honest what they represent in the show is abuse in the arts so that is one thing yeah yeah, and they're beautiful but they're there's a lot of abuse going on Oh, yeah. I so I grew up doing ballet. I've been doing it since the age of three. Yeah. So uh, connect. I connect a lot with that. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. How perfect. You know, you know, exactly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When you said they represent pain, I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I know. It brought up so much. I I started about that age two, around age three. And yeah. yeah, it's very young to start ballet. That's what, but that's what happens though. It's like, you're part of the system. You go into it and yeah. And I did a lot of it as a teenager. That was really hard. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, there's certain aspects of it that I love, but there are many aspects that I can't get behind. Yeah, me too. And the worst part is you don't even realize, I mean, you might realize how bad it is when you are actually in it, um, but it doesn't really hit you until afterwards, especially, well, for example, from my personal experience, I, after I graduated from my program, I took a little bit of break and now I dance with uh, like a studio where the teachers don't yell at me for taking a break or they don't get mad at me because I get thirsty, right? Those are human things. Um, And it makes me realize just how bad it was after seeing the good parts of it, right? But yeah, so I definitely relate. Can't wait to see that on display. Oh, I know. They're so, it's beautiful to make art out of them. I've shown them so many times now, probably... I don't know, five times I've had shows with the toe shoes and I absolutely insist. I'm like, this has to be part of the show. It's mm-hmm. just, it's a huge part of my work and my collecting and archiving and, and saving things from 
the garbage. Um, and I get, yeah, it's, it shocks me that I was able to even have access to these, that they were gifted to me. Do you know what I, so you need to really pay attention to that. And it's like, how am I going to use this? And in a productive way, use these mm-hmm. toe shoes. So it's beautiful. Like making installations out of them is it's, it's really fun. Yeah. Dancing on them. Not so much. <laughs> Oh, they're only to be viewed. <laughs> yes, I agree. They're so pretty to look at. They're stunning. Um, yeah. Besides the lineup of the point shoes, you also post um, different works of art on Instagram. Um, there was this one that pulled my attention, probably because again, it featured a like a ballerina leg, the one where there's a um, like a lady with a big dress sitting on a chair and right. the leg on top yeah and then you wrote in the caption that you weren't sure about the ballet leg um so my question is does it help in your creative process to hear from other people when for example you posted on social media yeah um I am very late to social media when I should have been on it and you know 13 years ago I was absent I was too busy working I was actually too busy making art and working for the rookie. Uh, publication. So I use it now more than I probably should. I'm kind of using it like a website, but then I did post that piece. Yeah. I guess the woman I've taken, I've removed her head. It's a collage and she's wearing, it's like a Baroque, like a very large, I wish I knew more information about this period of time when women wore giant dresses And I've actually been working on that collage probably for 10 years. I just keep layering it. And finally, I was cleaning up a bunch of work, getting ready for the show. And I just started to rip apart some things. Like I do that a lot. I recycle and I do destroy pieces. I'm like, this isn't working. I got to get rid of this. Or I like I reappropriate. So I did cut out that toe, that leg with the toe shoe, this illustration. It just came together with this very old piece. And I wasn't sure, like it happened so quickly. I was doubting myself and which is why I took the photo and put it on Instagram. And I, I've never crowd surfed. It was one of the first times that I was actually looking for some feedback. I said, I don't know about the leg. Is this too obvious? Is this too, I just couldn't figure it out. I, but I got amazing feedback and then everything felt right. So that was awesome. I loved that. I I may do more of that. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I love that yeah. you've been on it because I just finished that piece and it's in the show at Richmond Gallery. So you can see it up close. Yeah, Amazing. it's unframed and it, you can just see the rawness of it, which is, uh, that's what I love too about this exhibition is you can really see the process in some of these pieces because they're unframed. Mm-hmm. And it's also incredible that you are actually able to go back and rip apart your old work (laughs) yeah well I that reminds me too because actually that's how I started making the early work is I was going through my diaries and transcribing pieces of diary material I was using a typewriter so that's like I was like a secretary with my own work and like transcribing onto index cards and then I took those index cards and started to play with the language and create like it just like you 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 use yourself as a resource like you mine your own material and make something new which I love yeah 
again incredible that you're able to do that because sometimes I look at my like old diaries I'm like this should never see the light of day <laughs> and I you're sharing that. it with the public <laughs> well that's the thing because well once you start you you mine this material like you're like digging for gold or something and then you you start to finesse it like you can make poetry out of it or lines of text like a meme or something like you can really find yeah I find that yeah using the self as resource material is the way to go for everybody personally speaking (laughs) for this kind of work yeah I have another social media related question um thinking about when you first started your artistic journey and now and you said that you post on Instagram a lot has your expectations of yourself changed when it comes to the art you create uh, now that the added component of social media and sharing your art, not only with the people who will see it in person, but who also see it online? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's so sad because Instagram's such a mess now. I only use Instagram and it's a mess and it's really hard to find your people and even see posts from your friends because there's so much junk going on in advertising. So yeah, I kind of feel like I'm shouting into the void, but I'm still insisting on posting art on there for however much longer we can. Um, Yeah, a friend of mine was saying, she's like, Sonia, you're way too generous. You're giving away too much on Instagram. Like, well, this is just my nature. Like, this is how I want to share right now. And again, I don't, I need a website. I need, like, I'm pretty behind right now with the anything to do with the internet. (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm happy to share on there. I'm happy to share work. I just feel like we need that in this time. Like, I mean, also, when people do see it, I feel like it's such a source of inspiration for especially creative people to see others artwork um, that I think it added adds another component of why it's important to share art. I feel like, I mean, only if you're comfortable to do so. (laughs) Of course. I know. I wish more people would really share. I mean, I get tired of seeing posts of someone's, I don't know, dinner and I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm, why can't you post like what's really going on? You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. food shares, that's all good, but I know. And I'm like, I'm on here posting my vulnerable artwork. Like, what am I doing? And, but I can't not, like, I I've always been, I've always wanted to share and be generous when I can be. I mean, I am an introvert and I do spend so much time alone making work in solitude that when I'm ready to share, I just, that's what I want to do. And I just feel like that's what it should be. Like it should be network, a network of people, like-minded people appreciating each other. And it's a, it's, it's an exchange with the viewer and the reader. And that should be level ground, I think, because it's like whoever can receive this work is part of the work because they understand it. So it's a, it's a relationship, if that makes sense. It does. And that's an important thing to think about too um has you sharing your art more on social media changed at all the way you create and the way you approach your art um I think yeah my when I share something on there it's usually finished it's like oh this looks really good 
I want to share this. Like I, it's an intuitive feeling. It's like, oh, this is a good thing to post. It's done. But I don't, yeah, I, I still work in solitude and in a vacuum. And this actually honestly helps me share and process as I'm doing it. I think I might try to do it even more so. I wish there was a different platform for artists, to be honest, a social media platform for artists that would, that needs to happen. Yeah. If, if any app developers are listening to this. I know they, they try. I know, please <laughs> let's do this. Let's make this happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd love, I mean, this process of having the show and seeing the, all the women who came to the opening, just like, Oh, can't we just, all hang out together and make art and have a community like I just there's so many people I'd love to connect and so many artists showed up and illustrators and and I couldn't even take it in because I was so busy trying to just get through the opening I wasn't even really able to take in but I just there were so many people there and I and it was it was such a positive experience I just now I'm like how can we all unite and come together like, what is that going to look like in 2023 going forward? Yeah, I think I feel that's such a good idea. Because have you heard of uh, Stitch and Bitch? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we could definitely make a, a like a, I guess, a visual art version of that. You oh, could yeah. do different things. Yeah. Each that's week. Oh, perfect. that'd be so nice. I know. I know. Exactly. I would. There has to be something. <laughs> I think definitely I'm gonna look into this this is such a good idea I know I love it I love it yeah and so currently you mentioned that you are now also getting into watercolors as well currently what are you enjoying making what are you enjoying using when it comes to your preferred medium of art oh yeah so in May I Oh, I got I went in, I went down a rabbit hole and I just started painting and I think I spent maybe two weeks solidly cranking out paintings on paper arches watercolors I was also working on these um circular this watercolor paper that you actually could buy a pad of it and it's it's a circle and so I started making I guess I was calling them orbs I don't even know what they are they're like auras and I was, then I started using ink, like, like fountain pen ink. And there's a huge resurgence in pens and inks and paper products going on right now. It's become, it's actually almost culty. Um, and I was working in my friend's store who sells all these products. So I was getting them half price. <laughs> so I amassed a lot of materials that I thought I would never use, but because it was, you know, th- these amazing inks. And so painting with the ink has changed my life. Like the saturation and the color and the way that you have no control over the ink and then you add water. And then I was even using like a, sp- a spray bottle of water and like just totally experimenting with all of these colors and trying to come up with new colors and also putting colors together that you would never imagine being together and then adding in metallics and day glow colors like I love like pastel and earth tones and metallic and and fluorescent so to bring that together 
is very exciting and fun. So I was doing a lot of that. And one of those pieces is actually at the, at the classification crisis show. So that was exciting that I got to show very fresh work as well as work from 1995. So that felt really good to see that together in one space. Yeah, definitely. Um, have you ever tried something like a, a different medium that you felt uncomfortable with? Yeah, I've been thinking about ceramics lately, doing some sculptural works. Um, I'm also thinking about doing music again, which I haven't done since probably 2000, the, like in like over 20 years. I used to have a band and yes, in the 90s. And there's actually a project within a project at the show. And yeah. it's a cassette tape project, which is a secret project. You actually have to go to the show to to hear and see this. And it's got recordings of my old band that has never been released ever. So my old kind of, it's like a little weird art band that is being broadcast in the gallery, <laughs> which I'm trying not to cringe. I'm very, I, everything makes me cringe. I'm easily embarrassed. So that's one thing. And the most amazing thing about one of the most amazing things about the exhibition, the launch party, the opening was that all three members of this band called Kiki Bridges were all at the show. And then we decided we're going to reunite the band. <laughs> so I don't know what is going to happen. I know it's very surreal. It's like a hobby and like a fun outlet we'll see what happens I haven't picked up a guitar in many 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 years so we'll see what happens so that's one thing that's being discussed <laughs> oh I love that so much <laughs> yeah it's pretty awesome the project's amazing and I really hope you get to see it in the gallery yeah I love it yeah. it's called men explained things to me from the Rebecca Solnit book, Men Explain Things to Me. So this is all just the cassette tapes. It's a, it's a conceptual project. You, you have to really just read and see it to believe it. Mm -hmm. I will. Oh, my God. On, okay, so I live in Vancouver, close to UBC's uh, Point Grey campus. The transit to Richmond just feels like such mm -hmm. a yeah, but I no, I don't care. I have to go. <laughs> yeah. I know, honestly, I really hope so. So many people people travel to see the show. They came over from Victoria, not that traveled that far, but I mean, <laughs> I, have, I have friends in Toronto that really want to see it. I'm just like, how can we make this happen? There, it's the show May tour. We'll, we're going to have to see about that. That's a lot of work and planning. But I know it's a track for you. But I do, once you get from, <laughs> once you get down to Camby and Broadway, it's not too far from there. And also there's yeah. tons of really good and delicious food in Richmond so you can make an afternoon of it. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm going to take a friend with me. We're going to have a full day. Excellent. I love it. That would oh be fabulous. God. That would make that me very sounds... happy. Yeah. Oh, me too. This all sounds very amazing. The more you talked about the exhibition, the more I want to go. <laughs> it's it's like a field trip. It's a fun field trip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so many components that I did not expect to hear, especially the cassettes. <laughs> that is, yeah. There's like a little boom box set up in the gallery. And so people can play the tapes 
but I just got word from the gallery that there's been some issues. People don't know how to use boom boxes <laughs> anymore. So some of the tapes are being eaten up. So we have to figure out a new way. We might have, it might have to end up being an MP3 player, but there'll still be mm-hmm. some um, agency with being able to choose songs to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. I there's, love that. there's something from Kathleen Hanna on there as well, who I don't know if you know her work. She's incredible. She's one of my yeah. faves. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, that, that, that all sounds amazing. And I'm really glad that I got to talk with you today. Um, but unfortunately, we are at the end of our time. <laughs> well, I get um, it. I've been, I've been yakking. <laughs> perfect. So uh, thank you again for joining me. I really appreciate it. And everyone go see Classifications Crisis until November 5th at the Richmond Art Gallery. And are you going to be at the gallery at all? Do you have any events coming up that you will be attending? Yeah, we're doing a panel. I can email you that information. We're doing a really Mm -hmm. interesting panel on DIY culture. So that's happening as part of the public programming that we're doing. And also there will be a closing party, which I'm very excited about. That's November 4th. And there will be a band playing called, they're called Necking and they're incredible. And we're having a little zine workshop and a conversation that I'm having with Doretta Lau, who is an amazing writer in Vancouver. So this is going to be a really fun closing party that I really hope people can make. And I'll yeah. be there. I'll be there. <laughs> I'm excited. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'll try to make it, hopefully. 